the name of Jesus. Amen. <clears throat> Happy New Year and uh, most especially blessed Epiphany to all of you here this day. Um, for Christmas and the time of Christmas, uh, we focus on the fact that God came to us. But for Epiphany, uh, we focus on the fact that God brings us to himself. Uh, he finds a way to bring us before him. And to prove this, I'm simply just going to work my way through the, through the gospel text uh, from Matthew chapter 2. In, in Matthew chapter 2, uh, we read these words, Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of King Herod, behold... And I'm stopping there because the word behold there, whenever you see this, means that something extremely important or unusual or odd is about to follow. Um, in fact, it might be a good practice that whenever you see the word behold, that you underline it or highlight it in your Bible and then follow what is, uh, pay attention closely to and, and follow what is happening um, afterward. That is a marker that something is very unusual and surprising. So what is the extraordinary thing that he's talking about? Well, Matthew then says, Behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem. And I want to point out that, it's, um, <clears throat> that this is not that extraordinary, actually, that wise men from the east go to Jerusalem. Uh, it's rare, but it's not extraordinary. It's not something remarkable here. Uh, in the Old Testament, we've seen this before, the Queen of Sheba visited Jerusalem. She brought presents and gifts uh, to David's son, Solomon, when he was born. Um, there are historical accounts of Magi traveling uh, to the West for diplomatic reasons, uh, to talk to the kings and things like this. They were interested, very interested in what was happening in Palestine. So the Magi would hear about these things and they were curious about all of the stuff happening in Israel. And, they, they wondered about it. There's an extra biblical account outside of the scriptures uh, about the Magi from the east visiting Rome, in fact, to pay homage to Nero, to the emperor Nero in the year 66 AD, so some 30-some uh, uh, years after Christ's death and resurrection. Uh, but this was a common occurrence. It was rare, but it would happen um, uh, throughout time. So it's, it's, it's a little bit rare that the Magi are there this time, but it's not extraordinary. Matthew's emphasis, though, is what follows here. Uh, it's not that they were in Jerusalem. It's why they were there this time. And he says, Behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. And that is the part that's, that's extraordinary. Uh, the, English, the English translations, I think a number of them, I think there's maybe two or three that um, don't, that translate it another way. But for the most part, the English translations translate magi as um, wise men or kings or something like this. And I think that's unhelpful. I think we should just translate it as it reads, so that if it says uh, magos or uh, magoi in the Greek, we just translate that in English, so it says magi. Um, the magi 
we're not wise in any true or Christian sense, at least according to the scriptures. Uh, Christians are wise because they fear God. They have the true faith. But the Magi, according to the scriptures, were fools. They were, they were foolish in the biblical sense. The word magos or uh, magoi is where we get the word magic or magician from. Uh, the word magi was a title for the Persian priests who would advise the kings. And we see this all throughout the scriptures. The magi, what they did is they studied astrology, astronomy, the, the interpretation of dreams. Uh, they, they studied things like dark magical arts, uh, even necromancy which is trying to communicate with the dead and trying to predict the future and fortune-telling. That is what this is referring to when you see the word magi. In the Old Testament, the book of Daniel, we hear about the court magi, or the court magicians, and the sorcerers who go in to interpret the king's dream, King Nebuchadnezzar's dreams. Uh, in the New Testament, in the book of Acts, we hear of the arch-heretic, uh, called Simon the Sorcerer, as you see it in English. Uh, he was a bad guy leading people astray. The Greek word used there to describe him is magi. He's a magician. Um, later, Philip converted Simon the Sorcerer, and he ended up renouncing uh, this, this life. Uh, in the Didache, this is um, a document supposed to have been written by the apostles uh, later on. The, it, it lists a number of accursed things and evil things that lead to death. And number seven on the list is magical arts and sorceries, which is spelled the same exact way, magi, the same root word. I, I think the clearest text, though, is going to be from Acts chapter 13. And it says that Paul and Barnabas, uh, this is the text, Acts chapter 13, Paul and Barnabas came upon a certain magician, Magi, a Jewish false prophet named Bar Jesus, which means son of Jesus. And the Bible uh, then says, Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit, looked intently at him and said, You son of the devil, you enemy of all righteousness, full of all deceit and villainy, will you not stop making crooked? the straight paths of the Lord. So that, so when we hear the word magi today, we think of something maybe entirely different and we think of them in a good way, uh, maybe because we know the whole story. But in the scriptures, when you hear the word magi, this is not a good title. This is not a good thing to be. Um, now this is why Matthew writes, Behold, because the magi were Gentiles, they were not Christians, they didn't worship the God of scripture. They were pagans. They were steeped into the occult. And the question is, what in the world are these people doing here? Even more, how did they know that a king of the Jews was to be born? Um, they would have known about the son of a king, like an emperor or Caesar. Once the, the, uh, once the, uh, the mother was pregnant, once the wife was pregnant, that would have been announced to everybody. Everybody would have known. There would have been parades and all these sort of things. Uh, and that would have been common knowledge. But how in the world did they know about the birth of Jesus, who is lowly and insignificant? Mary, who is a nobody, and Joseph, who is a nobody. They have no stature. They have nothing. They're, 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 
poor, they're common, they're unimportant people. How in the world did these people from the East, these Magi, know about the birth of Jesus? They're there around the same time. So, uh, why, and, and even if they did know, why in the world would they even go or show up? Well, the Bible tells us what they said. And this is what we have to go off of. They said, where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. Now, um, I don't quite know how this works, uh, just to be honest. I've read a bunch of commentaries. I've read a lot of theologians and their opinions on this and a bunch of theories on this. And some say it, the star was supernatural um, or that the star was not really a star. It was an angel or something like this, or that there was a direct revelation given to the Magi uh, to go follow this. Uh, others believe that these Magi had access to the Old Testament from when Israel was in captivity to Babylon. And so therefore they had the scriptures there and could consult the scriptures there. Others say that they learned through the oral teachings of Daniel when he was in Babylon, uh, or Ezekiel and, and the others. Others say that the Jews who settled there in Babylon after their captivity and didn't go back to Jerusalem to rebuild the temple were probably the ones who then spread this news and told them. Now, there are so many different theories, and they're kind of interesting and fascinating to read into them. But at the end of the day, it's pure guesswork. We don't know. And if we're just going off of what the Magi said, then they said that they saw his star in the east. The question is, well, how did they know it was his star? I I don't know. But they see this. We don't really know what's going on. All we know is that the Magi are not really good people. They see an astral phenomenon, whatever it might be. They traveled west, and then they end up in Jerusalem. And then the Bible says that when they got to Jerusalem, it says they were saying, where is the king of the Jews who has been born? Now, saying there is in the, uh, written in present participle form, which is a continual action, that they're constantly asking this over and over again. So here's what this means, and this is what it looks like. The Magi, they get to Jerusalem, and they start asking the common people there, hey, where's this king to be born? And they say, I don't know what you're talking about. And then they ask somebody else, and they say, I don't know what you're talking about. And they keep going around asking, and finally, now this rumor starts to spread, and everybody in Jerusalem hears about it, and then Herod hears about it, and he's one of the last to know. Uh, And that's why the Bible says, when King Herod heard, so it comes to him by some means, he was troubled, and all of Jerusalem with him. Um... So all of Jerusalem had known. Finally, Herod gets word, and now they start to tremble, and now they're afraid that Herod knows what they know. And they're afraid that Herod would find out because Herod is crazy. Uh, Herod murdered his own sons when he thought that they would succeed him and take the throne. He murdered his own family members. So if he did this to them, what in the world would he do? This, what, what, what in the world would he do to strangers? What would, what would he do to this newborn king of the Jews? Apparently, now the Magi, uh, they went to where they thought the newborn king would be born, and so they went to Jerusalem. 
which is where you would imagine the king of the Jews to be born. It's going to be in Jerusalem. It's probably going to be in the highest palace and the most expensive place. Um, and Herod himself, uh, he called himself the king of the Jews. He referred to himself that way. So it makes sense that the Magi thought it was Herod's son or something like this. And that, that, that is an idea. When Herod finds out, and he doesn't know what they're talking about, he calls for a theological conference. And he calls all, as the scriptures say, assembling all the chief priests and scribes of the people. He inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. So he summons all of these theologians, all of these scribes and Pharisees, the most learned men, to come into this big room, and he tells them what's going on, and he says, there's a newborn king of the Jews, and I need you guys to figure out where he's born. What is going on here? And finally, they start discussing, and there's uh, back and forth. They search the scriptures. They're looking through all 39 books of the Old Testament, flipping through them. Finally, they get to Micah chapter 5, verse 2. And it says, in Bethlehem of Judea, for so is written by the prophet. And that's what they find. And then <clears throat> from here, uh, you know the rest of the account. The Magi then go to Bethlehem. They see the star again uh, above the place, above the very house Mary and Joseph are in. And the Bible says they're exceedingly glad when they finally see that star again. So uh, what happens is that the star was shining at some point stopped shining, and then finally started to shine again. And they see Mary and Jesus, and they go into the house, and they give him the gifts that they have with them, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And that's how it goes. <clears throat> now, I want you to consider just everything that had to happen for those magi to get to Jesus, and the exact way and timing that it had to occur. When the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, God chose Mary, a virgin, to be his mother. And Mary was from Nazareth. But the Bible says that Jesus would be born in Bethlehem, which is 68 miles away from there. I suppose God could have simply said something like, Hey, Mary, um, I know you're from Nazareth, but I need you to go over to Bethlehem and give birth to Jesus there and then put him in a manger because that's how things are supposed to go down. And that's apparently what the, 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 the scriptures say. He could have said that, uh, but instead he, he does something else. And this gives us insight into how the Lord works. And this is fascinating. What God did instead was this. Decades earlier, he raised up a man in Rome who became Caesar Augustus. And he raised him up and he put him in power. And years later, Caesar mandates a census for the entire world, which is a massive event that upends everything. Everyone is in commotion. Everything is going crazy. Everybody has to go back to their hometown that they were born in in order to register there. And that means that Mary and Joseph have to leave Nazareth and go back to Bethlehem, where they were born. Now, while all of that is going on, on the other side of the world, the Magi are studying the stars and looking at the planets, and they see something new in the sky. 
And they think something supernatural is happening. They travel west to where it is. They get lost. They end up in Jerusalem. They don't know who the king of the Jews is. They ask around. Nobody knows what they're talking about. Rumors spread. They finally get to the ear of Herod. Herod finds out. Herod is paranoid and psychotic. He leads them to call a conference. He gets all the scribes and Pharisees to get, or the, the priests together. They look through the 39 books of the Old Testament. They flip to Micah chapter 5, verse 2. They find out it's in Bethlehem. And then by the time that they find out, they leave. They go to Bethlehem. And then they see the star again. And they go at the exact time that the earth is in such a position and rotation that this star is aligned directly above the house of Mary and Joseph, and they walk in, and they see Mary and Jesus. Now, my point is, is that if there were a breakdown in any of this, if there were no Caesar, or if he didn't make that mandate, or there was no census, or Mary and Joseph didn't go home, or the Magi weren't looking at stars, or they didn't talk to anybody in Jerusalem, or the rumors never spread, or it never got to Herod, or if Herod wasn't paranoid and crazy, and the scribes never found Micah chapter 5, or the Magi left a little too late or a little too early, then there would be no epiphany. There would be no service today. There would be no Magi before the Lord. There would be no Matthew chapter 2. All of that would be done with. But all of this happened because 700 years earlier, Isaiah in chapter 60 said, Your sons shall come from afar, and they shall bring gold and frankincense. The, the main point I'm making here is that it seems... If you were alive in that day and you didn't have the scriptures, it would seem like Caesar and Herod and the Magi and the governments and the rulers and the authorities of this world are in charge. That they're running the show. And the reality is that they're not. And neither is this just a big coincidence either or a random event that happened. Rather, what I submit to you is that God caused and ordained the entire thing. Acts chapter 17 gives us insight into this, and this is just mind-blowing here. It says, God has made of one blood all nations of men to dwell on the face of the whole earth. And God has determined allotted periods and times and the boundaries of their dwelling place. For the purpose that they should seek God and perhaps feel their way toward him and find him. This is mind-blowing. Matthew chapter 2 is not an account of how wise and intelligent you have to be in order to find Jesus. Matthew 2 is an account of how God leads even the most distant and foolish, ignorant people to the world to himself. Isaiah chapter 65, verse 1 says, God, God himself says, I will be visited by those who did not seek me. There were so many things that had to happen in the exact way and time and place, good and bad and senseless things, you name it, in order for this to occur. And we see that God didn't accomplish his will. God did not accomplish his will in spite of all of those things. But he accomplished his will through those things. 
Regardless of anyone else's intention, good or bad, God used them for his good and holy will. He, he, God used this massive global census just to get Mary from one place to another. God used the foolish paganism of these magi, the exact alignment of the stars, the rotation of the earth, the time of the day, the paranoia of a king, just to bring these magi to kneel before their savior, the savior of the world. God arranged the world in such a way to get a couple of guys to stand before him uh, that night. And here's, here's what it means for you. If God moved the stars and the planets and used the tyrant's cruel and unjust mandates, even the psychosis of a king, to lead those magi to find Jesus, do you not think that the Lord has also moved this entire universe to lead you to himself here today? Of course he has. You are not here by chance or coincidence. You're not a Christian just because. God brought you here. God has caused everything in your life to bring you to himself, to bring you to faith, to this church, and to hear these words right now, that he's involved in everything and working his will not in spite of it or alongside of it, but through it, all of it, and this means that all of your days, all of your, even your parents, your upbringing, your schooling, your work, your employment, your unemployment, your relocation, where you live, the just or unjust things of the government, your sufferings, your sorrows, your diseases, your crosses, your burdens, all of these things God has used for your ultimate good so that you would have faith in his son. And bring you to himself. Even, even in wicked things, God doesn't cause the evil, but he limits and measures. Uh, the measures are fixed by God. God limits how far they should go and what they should accomplish and how long it should last and how he's going to punish and hinder those things. Romans 8.28 doesn't say that God works good things for your good. Or some things. Or most things. It says all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose. All things. Like those magi, who too were once distant and foolish in sin uh, and guilt, we too are blinded in our sin and guilt. But God has drawn us to himself by miracles of the Holy Spirit, which were entirely out of our control. God got you to where you're supposed to be, which is right here, right now. Um, <clears throat> I know a lot has happened in the past four years. It's hard to believe it's even four years. Uh, but many of you weren't even here. Many of you that I'm looking at weren't even here five years ago. Uh, but it was through the events of the past four years, things like lockdowns and sickness and heartache, and unemployment, and relocation, and all these sorts of things, all of these things that changed and upended your life, that brought you then here. And some of you, I know because you've told me, were not even going to church five years ago, 
We're not even Lutheran five years ago. Did not even crack open the Bible five years ago. And yet through all of these things, the Lord has brought you uh, to this deep and profound faith in his son. And some of you I've seen here every single Sunday since then. Uh, Your life was completely upended and changed. I've seen you uh, grow in the faith in all of these things. And it, it is, we don't ascribe this to chance. This didn't just happen. The Lord has worked through all these things for your good. It was through these things that God brought you to where you were supposed to be even right now to hear these very words. These are the exact words you ought to be hearing right now. And here, in his word, here in his church, you find the one who found you. You find the one who found you in your sin and your guilt and your foolishness and your ignorance and your recklessness and who has made you wise unto salvation. Here you find the one who found you dead in your sins and trespasses in which you once walked and who then had mercy and grace upon you and saved you by grace through faith alone. Here you find the one who was born to die for you to give his life in exchange for yours, who has given and forgiven all of your sins through his bitter suffering and death. And just as Jesus brought those magi before himself, so too Jesus has brought you to himself here today so that you would kneel before him and receive his very body and blood and know him as your God and Savior who forgives you and makes you his own. Dear saints, you have a God who stops at nothing, nothing, as you heard all of Christmas, a God who stops at nothing to come to you. And you also, as you hear this this day, you have a God who stops at nothing to bring you to him, to bring you to himself. May God be praised for his great and glorious love upon us, that he uses all of his power and authority and majesty for not for anything else but for the sake of your salvation so that you would live forever with him. May God bless you this epiphany season and this new year as he continues to bring you to himself and make you wise unto salvation and fill you with the Holy Spirit, with his gifts, with uh, forgiveness, salvation, righteousness, innocence, and blessedness forever. Amen. Hear the words of this hymn. His wisdom never plans in vain, nor falters, nor mistakes. All that his counsels may ordain, a blessed ending makes. The peace of God which surpasses all understanding, guard your hearts and your minds. In Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen.